are listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Hello and welcome into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Philip Russell and my brother Ryan Shutt. And we are coming at you live on this lovely Sunday evening on YouTube. And obviously, if you're listening to this on any of the many podcast platforms, we want to say uh, welcome as well. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this Sunday, November 13th? Dude, uh, the Vikings won what might be the game of the century today. So I'm on cloud nine going into recording this pod. It has been a great day. I'm glad you're so excited about your team's success just in time for us to talk about your favorite basketball team losing to the Paolo Bancaroless Orlando Magic. I honestly, I thought about <laughs> I, I that. I have to cling to something, you know? <laughs> as the as that Vikings game was wrapping up, I was like, man, I could talk for five hours about this game and this team, but now it's time to talk Suns basketball. So let's pull out the notepad and re-watch the last game. And what a horrible, like, <laughs> come back down to earth moment. Watching that and then going back to, all right, t- time to watch us lose to the Magics. It was a bit of, bit of a bummer, but that was a... Kind of this week in a nutshell for the Suns. I don't remember our predictions. Did anyone have one and two this week? I don't think think so. I don't think so either. Uh, For those who might be listening or watching who weren't able to keep up with the Suns uh, this past week, good for you. You picked a great week (laughs) to take a bit of a break. Uh, The Suns started Monday losing to the Sixers 100 to 88, followed it up with a big win, which was exciting. 129-117 against the T-Wolves, and then lost Friday to the Magic 114-97. So, we are going to spend a bit of time talking through this past week, stuff that we think might be a telling sign of things to come, some stuff that might just be a blip on the radar, an outlier, if you will. But before we continue, I want to say a quick thank you to the Bright Side Podcast Network our uh, parent company, our mommy and daddy, if you will, of the podcast world. Um, Your faces said that that wasn't okay to say. Uh, And if you are joining us live on YouTube. I'm going to be looking at Dave King much differently moving forward. Hey, man, have you watched his podcast? Have you seen his weird little video intros that are just oddly (laughs) sexual? I don't feel I don't feel too bad right now. Uh, Those watching on YouTube joining us live, feel free to hop in the comments Whether you have something to share, a question you want to ask, uh, we love having that interaction as well. So, gentlemen, we will jump into what we always do and ask for instant reactions from this week of Phoenix Suns basketball. More than likely, we'll have a bit of a different tone than usual uh, in recapping this week. But, Philip, I want to give it up to you first. Weird Week Basketball, what are kind of your initial takeaways? I pride myself on not being a hot take artist, but I think I have one starting the week. All right, Nick Wright. What do we got? Carl Anthony Towns is the most unlikable player in the NBA. Whoa! Uh, Dude, okay. Quick sidebar, and then I'll let you continue. Over Pat Bev? Listen, my Twitter, Twitter, I follow a lot of Minnesota sports fans as part of Vikings Twitter, beat writers, etc. They do not like him at all. They are so tired of the whining, flailing, complaining, half-hearted crap, and then complain afterwards. I think if they could take Anthony Edwards' spirit and inject it in Carl's body, 
10 out of 10 people would do it. So I, I don't think that's far off. He's huge. He is a monster of a man. But if he gets touched, he acts like he just got shot. Like watching, watching his game and watching his style of play and the way he interacts with the refs and just the facial contortions that takes place when you breathe on him, it was exhausting and annoying. I do not, I do not envy Minnesota Timberwolves fans in the slightest having to watch that on a routine basis. I and I used to be a big Kentucky fan. I was still a big Kentucky fan in 14-15. Really enjoyed him at UK. But watching him, I was just like, dude, just from an enjoyment standpoint, shut up. Please stop complaining. But sorry, go ahead, Ryan. No, yes. I was just gonna say, don't get my don't misconstrue my reaction. Like, I'm not the biggest NBA Carl fan there is, but to you said What's I, w- I want to know your your verbiage again? Most hated or m- what was your least likable? I believe he's unlikable. Carl Anthony Towns is unlikable mm, when you see, watch I still, him play basketball. Is he top five? Maybe, but I still have guys like Grayson Allen and Patrick Beverly, just because I have years of animosity built up towards them above Carl. But I think Carl's definitely working his way up the list. I will yeah. I will give that. Everybody says Grayson Allen's a good teammate. What are the vibes like in Minnesota? I can tell you because there's video after every game of Anthony <laughs> Edwards being disgusted about the players. Here's the galaxy brain thought. Maybe they sold the farm so that they could get Gobert to replace Carl. Cause they knew Carl isn't, Ooh. isn't for this world. <laughs> if you will, they're like, there's guys, they're like, guys, it's too early to trade Carl, but what we can do is go ahead and get his replacement. And when people ask, we'll be like, we love two centers. That's the future of the league. And then people will poop on us for an entire summer. And then we'll trade Carl away for some semblance of a return. Who knows? I, I'm not. I'm not against that one at all. I'll bring us back to actual Suns basketball. Okay. All right. Let's start with the 76ers game. Instant reaction. It's really hard to win a game when one of their players, who is not a star, seven of ten out outdoes you from the three point line. Like Niang just outscored the Suns who? by himself from the three point line. That's incredibly hard to overcome iowa state sorry i'm curious yeah it was iowa state i was pretty sure i got a god double check phillips a big college basketball guy it is iowa state georgia's niang cyclone alum proceed sorry so that was really hard timberwolves it was pretty straightforward everything good and exciting about mikhail bridges shone through that game like a beacon of light into the dark spot that was Phoenix Suns basketball this game. And then we've talked about this on the pod before. If you can't make shots, it's really hard to win games. And there you have the Orlando Magic game. Ryan, what about you? What stuck out this week? My my reaction to this week was we're still in a good place. Even after the the loss to Orlando, which is a horrible loss, we still are eight and four on the season. We're sitting in the top five with with twelve games under our belt. Uh, as much as I would like to uh, lament that terrible loss, and uh, really, it is probably my low of the week. We're still in a, we're still in good shape, and the fact that we're in this good of shape with the injury turmoil we've had thus far is is reassuring. Uh, and so, just to kind of keep myself grounded in that, not to overreact, not to get too worked up about it. The Jazz are sitting uh, in first in the West at, at 10 and four. Um, but all the top five teams okay. have the same amount of losses right now. So we're, we're in a good spot. 
just a rough week. Just a just a rough week. Uh, and we've been used to those the last two two ish seasons. So you know, you just gotta take your lumps every now and then and, and move on. Uh, my takeaway is that we lost another starter, and that makes me unhappy. Uh, we talked about Chris Paul playing less minutes. I did not intend for this to be the way we went about it. But um, uh, short-term reaction, I think campaign has showed continued improvement. I think we all were kind of giving him a good bit of love early on for what he was doing for the bench unit that he was leading. I think he has done well in terms of stepping into the starting role. Um, even in the Orlando game, which, like we said, not great. I think he might have been the bright spot uh, in terms of just his efficiency, in terms of what he was able to do, hitting hitting shots, which was needed that game. His three is looking still as janky as all get out, but it was going in. Um, so campaign, that is a bright spot. And we're also doing this while Tory Craig is playing way more minutes than Tory Craig ever should. So we are, I, I think we're starting to see the weak points of the patch it up attempts to fix the Cam Johnson problem. In Cam's absence, we, we spent a whole episode last week saying, what are we going to see from this? And I want to talk about that a little bit more later. But we now have three games under our belt and saying, okay, what is what is life without Cam Johnson? We know he had the basically the more minimal surgery, the quicker recovery time. So that news is new uh, for those who, who haven't been keeping up online since we last recorded. But there's still going to be a lot of season without him. So we started seeing what life may look like without him. And then Chris Paul goes down. So then immediately we're starting to see a shift in rotations, in minutes. And I think it's just right now they're kind of just trying to keep it afloat while bailing out water. It's going to take maybe a week or so to see like, okay, what does this team actually look like in a Cam Johnsonless world? I don't think we saw it because of Chris Paul's injury this week. Well, and Chris Paul is significantly more day-to-day than Cam Johnson, which I think needs to be noted. There's even, he's even throwing out the possibility of playing Monday that it's doubtful, but that he could be back potentially even by tomorrow night for the heat game. So his, his isn't going to have hopefully the same long-term impact that, that Cam's loss will, but still, still a blow nonetheless. Yeah. In terms of, What you all saw from these three games, obviously we'll probably have some stuff to say in our our highs, lows, and just so you know about a couple players. Was there anything that just like downright concerned you moving forward? Like actual, this this looks like an issue that we need to be aware of moving forward, especially I guess coming from those two losses. I know like Philip said, we missed a lot of shots. Some dudes hit a lot of shots. But was there were there any big concerns in terms of on court stuff? Yeah, I was surprised how much the Suns struggled with the Magic's big to big actions. They had quite a few possessions where they were running pick and rolls with guys like uh, Carter and Bamba, Carter and Wagner, and the Suns had a really difficult time figuring out exactly what they wanted to do on those switches, which led to a lot of wide open dump ins underneath the rim. And it just exemplifies how small the Suns actually are. Mm-hmm. DA is huge. And when you think about wings, Mikhail and Cam are not undersized wings, but you're playing two average wings at the three and four. Booker for a guard, again, not undersized, but when you pair him with Chris Paul, then kind of your composite 
guards are on the smaller side. Your composite wings with Cam and McHale are on the smaller side. And then on the bench, you don't really have a ton of size who can come in when those guys are injured or when you're playing a team like the Magic. You have Torrey Craig, but he plays bigger than he actually is, but then he's going to be by a guy like a Jock Landell or a Dario Saric who aren't huge players either. So that that's just something to think about as we move forward. And as the Suns play teams like maybe a Cleveland or a Denver, teams with bigs who can play make, the Suns are going to need to put forth significantly better defensive performances than they did against the Magic. And the Magic are a bit of a matchup anomaly, I guess, because yes. of what they do is so different. I think if you were going to use kind of the traditional numbering system of positions, they roll out a two, a three, a four, and two fives. Like they don't have a true point guard. They don't even have a, a two true guards out there because I think Okiki's more of a, a traditional three playing in a two spot. So it is like... Almost the way we talked about the Clippers giving the Suns problems because of their extreme length and strength, it just causes a lot of matchup issues for the Suns, and I think we saw that. And then on top of that, those big guys were hitting shots, Uh, and credit to them. They're big bigs, like the centers were hitting shots. Uh, I think if Bamba would have scored one more point, they would have had three centers in double digits, which would have been a pretty incredible statistic. But yeah, I think I think that's just a tough matchup and a, not a good night to encounter them either, given who we were missing. Cam would have helped. I think he could have pulled some of the, the clunk in the middle out a little bit more and attacked that with his ability. And that people just weren't having to respect anyone else, I don't think, outside. Yeah, and even a guy like Landry Shamet, who plays with an increased level of physicality, especially when he attacks the rim, the Suns were really missing that against... Orlando so I think when he gets back in the lineup you might see you might see a little bit better performance if you encounter a team like that I didn't even think to give Landry his his uh credit for not being around as well it's uh, a lot lot of stuff a lot of stuff going on but um anyway like we said I don't think there's any massive concerns big picture I think some of it might have just been validating matchup issues that we knew existed to begin with uh, but that, with that said, let's move on towards the the heart of the show, if you will. The reason people keep showing up for more. Our highs, lows, and just so you know, is in Phoenix Suns basketball. And Ryan, I will give you the honors of going first this evening with your first high for the week. Well, uh, I was afraid you were going to steal my thunder a little bit when you brought this with this young man up. It's uh, somebody I've been known to show some bias towards. Uh, from time to time, have even run a, a stand account for this guy. Uh, and and I, I just want to give credit to campaign this week and, and not just for this week. Um, but I think this season we, we have seen a, a much more solid campaign. So just kind of looking at the numbers this week, if you're looking at uh, what he did this week, first Philly, he went 14 and five against Minnesota. He went 23, eight and six. And then you've already mentioned his Orlando game. Uh, where he went 24, 4, and 3, shooting 5 of 10 from 3. Um, he's got an ugly three-point shooter, but it was great to see him have a great shooting night. Uh, but even from a, a season perspective, through 12 games so far, he's he's playing uh, to a level that is is not amazing by any means, but he's doing the job he's being paid to do, uh, and, and I'm not too worried about it. He's uh, averaging 12 points a game, 2.5 assists, 
or two and a half rebounds, excuse me, three and a half assists, shooting 44% from the field, uh, 41% from three and 83% uh, from the free throw line. So I just want to credit where credit's due. A guy who's put together a, a solid string of games so far to start the year uh, campaign has been my high. Uh, and that'll probably, uh, you know, uh, ease that for a few weeks for me. I'll, I'll lay low on my cam love. Uh, and hopefully here in a couple of weeks, I can circle him back into the rotation as a guy I want to give some attention to, but uh, proud of what I've seen from him so far. And, and I think in, in a, in a uh, season that so far has had a lot of turmoil from uh, injuries, he's been kind of one of the more steady hands so far, which has been nice. He had a killer week. I mean, that Timberwolves game, I know you mentioned some of the stats. I, I thought his performance in that game was phenomenal. And I think the thing that was most impressive was uh, I had it written down somewhere. I think it was eight assists, zero turnovers. Like he wasn't just getting buckets. He was also facilitating well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the assisted turnover ratio is something we've seen him have some brief highs with, but also can get derailed. Now for quick. the week, he went eight assists to seven turnovers. If you're looking at the, the Minnesota game or the, yeah, the Philly game and the Orlando game, he had, I think three against Philly four against Orlando, but that, that Minnesota game was, was real nice. He had to have had some assists in those other two games, right? Oh, sorry. I was yeah. saying, I, I was okay, just, I was, I was like, just he had just, to, was yeah, like, he yeah, just sorry, had eight sorry. in the Timberwolves game. Yeah. It'd be pretty sorry, I got tunnel, like, I got tunnel vision there for a second. No, you're good. You're good. Philip. Uh, hi for the week, good sir. So to contrast my little hot take about Carl Anthony Towns, I really like the on-ball defense against the 76ers, and specifically, I really liked what DeAndre Ayton showed when he was matched up, especially one-on-one against Joel Embiid. DA brings a physicality to matchups that can make life pretty difficult for the elite scorers the elite scoring bigs in the NBA Embiid only shot eight of 21 from the floor, which is good. That is well done from the Suns as a whole. And I think DA plays a big part in that. They just sent him to the line so many times. And he He was, he was 16 of 16 from the line. Now, Some of that's on DA. Some of that's just necessary. The way Joel plays, he's such a smart player. He's going to get to the line some. But as far as DA's concerned, again, I was really happy with his ability to let Joel hit his chest, and then he can still contest pretty well. Because something we saw with Joel later on in the game, when DA got in foul trouble, which, sidebar, his third foul in the second quarter was so dumb. I, I watched the games on replay and I screamed at him at my computer. I was like, what are you doing? Fouling a guy whose back is literally turned to the basket past the three-point line right when he's about to go out of bounds and have to make a tough pass. But when Joel gets switched on to guys like a Jock Lindale, a Dario Sartz, or even if something terrible happens and it's like a Mikhail Bridges or a Tory Craig trying to go one-on-one with Joel, When he takes a hard dribble, puts a shoulder into someone's chest, he creates a good bit of separation, and he's good in the mid-range when he does that, especially when he's getting so many shots at the foul line. With DA, DA can absorb that hit pretty well, and I thought several times he did absorb that hit and contested those mid-range jumpers at a really nice level. So I know there's probably more to say about DA in a different part of this segment on ball defense gets a, gets a big thumbs up for me. 
Well, I'll go ahead and take uh, a, a bit of an layup, if you will. My high was Mikhail Bridges against the Timberwolves. That was the performance of the week. Uh, sorry, a campaign was phenomenal, but that performance, that one game, was pretty insane. Uh, season high 31 with 13 in the first quarter. And I think the 13 in the first quarter was more impressive than the 31 for the game. He single-handedly set the tone and kind of just showed this level of confidence that like, Hey, we're going to continue to get buckets. We're going to continue to work hard on both ends. And it's frustrating. I know there's a psychological piece to basketball that we maybe overestimate. But for me, it just looks like he gets this look about him after a couple shots go in early. And it's like he remembers, oh, I'm really good at this, too. I'm not just here to be a great defender. I mean, he was scoring every which way. I mean, stop on a dime, you know, mid-range shots. His three was falling. He was attacking the rim well. Um, people probably won't give as much attention to this. But Landry Shamit was incredible incredibly good to start that game as well uh, he really was the the sidekick to McHale he was the one helping provide that space hitting a couple early shots forcing the defense to spread out a bit which made it easier for McHale to get to his normal spots Landry looked great and that was coming off of an atrocious game where I think he was 0 of 4 0 of 3 from 3 so it's great to see him get it figured out I think he will be more and more important moving forward as these injuries come about, I also think, like we've all said, with Cam Johnson gone, Landry really is going to need to step up in a couple ways just in terms of the fit. Um, but Mikhail went off, and you could tell it wasn't just exciting for him. It was exciting for the entire team. Uh, one of my favorite things, because I watched it live, but watching live, I really get sucked in. On the rewatch, I was focused on the bench every time one of his buckets went in, and it was a joy to watch them see their brother have that success and kind of have that moment very reminiscent of cam johnson against the knicks last season when you could tell everyone was just so happy and a lot of mikhail's success was when we had a lot of starters on the bench uh and so being able to see them over there kind of just take a step back and let mikhail have his moment was really cool to see uh i loved it for him he got a lot of love after the game and online uh but that needs to be that doesn't need to be a once a, a season thing and I'll talk that I will get that uh, to that later. I don't want to just party poop on his own, like high in the episode, but the performance was stellar. Yeah. More, more games with 20 shots for Mikhail Bridges. Yes. Like it, it needs to happen. Like that's a good marker of like, okay, this dude is unbelievably efficient. What happens when you give him a bunch of shots? And that's, that's the math in the NBA right now, right? Like Steph Curry shoots 41, 42% on three pointers. What happens if we ratchet up his three-pointers? He plays like an MVP. He plays like an all-time great kind of player. This is the success of the Chris Paul and James Harden-led Rockets. We're really efficient at three-pointers. What if we just shoot three-pointers, basically? So I want to see that from Mikhail. What I loved about Mikhail's game on Wednesday was that it was so well-balanced. His, his cutting is so smart. He finds space and he makes himself available, whether that's a cut to the nail or a cut towards the rim. And then by the second quarter, he was pulling from deep. 
from three and there was no hesitation. So it was the three level scoring that we like to see. And then what really stood out to me was his stat line in the first half was almost unbelievable. 18, seven, five, and three. So 18 points, seven rebounds, five assists, three steals and a half. I think I sent you guys my, my traditional, this is good, right? Uh, when, when they put that all together, cause it was just, it's, I, I, to, to your point, man, if he could get that consistent, because right now Booker is the, the most consistent piece we have moving forward at the moment with all the injuries. If Mikhail could bring that, we'd be we'd be sailing. My my thing about Mikhail is he is not. Again, I think it's he's mechanically limited. He is not a primary scorer. This is going back to the summer, Ethan. He's not a secondary scorer. But if he's a really good tertiary scorer for your team, you can be, and the Suns have been, an exceptional team. If mm-hmm. it's Booker, then DA, then Mikhail, that is hypothetically a really good one, two, three punch. So like we're not saying 20 shots every single game, but if he's if he's got it going in the first quarter, I think what we're saying is let it rip at mm-hmm. at that point. And again, I know this is this is across the spectrum of Suns content and Suns podcast. Generally speaking, I just want to see him getting more shots. Again, not 20 shots a game, but more than he than he currently is. It was it was an interesting night too in terms of just the minutes. You kind of saw the Suns playing their four starters with a constant rotation of who's going to take Tory Craig's spot. Uh, which ended up with Mikhail, I think, having 42 minutes, 41, 42 minutes. Uh, and Shamit did all of that in under 20. Uh, it was just a really good game from players we wanted to see change the way they played in order to take advantage of what the other team's giving them. Mikhail and Landry were the two highest free throw getters on the team. It's hilarious to me. Mikhail was 5 of 5, Landry was 4 of 4. The attacking of the rim was was huge. Uh, Certain other players may not have done that. And like I said, we'll get there momentarily. Uh, so with that said, let's go ahead and shift from our highs to our lows. And Philip, I'll let you take this one first this time. The offense was hot garbage this week. It was so bad. And I, I'm not enjoying watching it right now. Usually I love watching the Suns because there are so many different options on, on any given possession. What can happen? Even a possession as simple as one of the possessions I was thinking about with Mikhail against the Wolves, even when it they empty one side of the court and Mikhail sets a screen for one of the guards, he rolls, he gets the ball, and he can kick out for three. If they're crashing down at the big, he can lob it up to Busy or DA or whoever he can attack the rim. He can pull up. It's just there's not the continuity right now that we're used to. And I think that's understandable, but it's still just kind of icky to watch from a basketball standpoint. This, this week's games were not like legitimately not fun to watch. Yeah. They were gross. Like more the, on Timberwolves, the Timberwolves game was fun because things <laughs> were clicking, but it wasn't the offense clicking. It was a guy clicking in my yeah. opinion. Like I don't think Mikhail and Landry's success came from the offensive sets. I think they both took what was given to them and did well. That magic game, man, that was the first game this season where I, I I didn't just struggle to rewatch. I struggled to watch live. That second half was infuriating because you saw the talent discrepancy and then you saw the scoreboard. And not at one point did I think this game's going to turn around. 
Like it just it felt over, and that was really frustrating. And there were possessions against the Magic where, if you blink and it's Cam Johnson finishing the possession instead of Torrey Craig, you would feel good about it because several possessions that game finished with Torrey Craig attacking the nail and shooting a kind of fall away 10 footer. If that's Cam Johnson, cool. If it's Cam Johnson attacking the rim, that's great. If it's Cam Johnson open for three in a corner, that's great. And I think that that's at the crux of the matter right now. There is such a gap between what this team looked like at the beginning of the year and what they look like now because they have a weak point in their offense. Yeah. And again, what the Suns, what the Suns have to do is they have to figure out like what are we going to now hang our hat on? Because we can't hang our hat on the whipping the ball all across the floor because that's gonna get teams are gonna we've talked about this, they're gonna get the ball to Tory Craig. And if it's in Torrey Craig's hands, as much as we like that guy, that's a W for the other team. So what I think the Suns are going to have to do, and you saw it against Orlando a little bit, they're going to have to shoot three-pointers. Like, please shoot three-pointers. The Suns only shot 19 three-pointers against Philly. I think Philly did a good job closing out that game. That's not enough threes. You can, in today's NBA, you got to yak some threes. Against the Wolves, it ticked up a little bit more, 35 threes. They were 16 of 35. That's really good. And then against Orlando, they put up 42. They struggled. They were 13 of 42. But that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for where it's like, okay, they are not a team that's accustomed to taking that many threes, but they're also not a team that's accustomed to Torrey Craig being the one who's going to get the ball from Devin Booker in the corner. So like something's going to have to shift over the next couple weeks while all these injuries are plaguing the team. I I think Torrey Craig offensively is showing to be kind of like a PJ Tucker light where I think his two jobs should be I need you to hit most of the corner threes we give you cuz they're going to be pretty open and I need you to crash the boards like your life depends on it. Yep. Offensively that's it. And if you're not doing one of those two things, you need to take the point 5 offense to heart and pass it to someone very quick. Don't let yourself get trapped in a bad situation. And, and this might sound like a like a paradox might not be the right word, oxymoron, I don't know. Sometimes getting trapped in a bad situation is being left wide open. If you are allowing yourself to be on the end of this rotation and it's you open, there's, there's a great chance they aren't contesting, they're not closing out super hard because they they know who you are. And that sounds bad. I don't mean it to be super critical of the guy he started hot but i think he's falling back down to more of what we should expect yes not oh no he's just cold like no i think i think he's averaging about out to where he should be the beginning of the season may have just tricked some fans into thinking that he could fill that role a little easier yeah and this i'm not trying to say that tory craig somehow is playing terribly what what i'm trying to get across is because of injuries right now the Suns are asking Tory Craig to do something that he doesn't have the facilities to do. They're asking him to plug in for a play. It's the same thing with campaign. Campaign is not a starting point guard level player, I don't think. And asking him to run the offense isn't fair. Like these are role players that are asked that the Suns are having to ask to do more 
than they should be asked to do, which is why there needs to be, in my mind, a shift in how the Suns are playing, how they're approaching ball on the offensive end. Do you think it's making it even more apparent that Dario Saric might not be what some people think he should be? Like, in a, I think in a perfect world, if your forward goes down, people are like, oh, we've got Dario Saric ready to go, plug and play starting four. I've not seen anything yet to make me feel like his value is ticking up. Ethan, I think it goes back to the point that you've continuously, continuously made about Dario. It's that he's not a four. He's an undersized five. And that's what his skill set is. And so it's not a matter of misreading the Dario situation. And, and no one's going to trade for that. It's misclassifying Dario for who he really is as a player. No one's going to trade for that. And that's what drives me insane. What are you talking about? You don't think teams are going to trade for the guy who pump fakes twice and then goes up underneath the rim? <laughs> I almost I almost started the the double pump fake counter on Twitter. I did it a couple I did it a couple games last season. Every time he was getting big minutes, or uh, it might have the season before, I guess. Yeah, anytime Dario hit the triple pump fake, uh, one foot under the rim, I was like, this is this is the forty five year old man at the Y who gets the ball a little too far underneath and is like, I'm going to make sure I get fouled because I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, drive, drives me insane, Ryan. Low for the week as we. Move I feel along. like we've dunked on this team a lot already tonight, and for for rightful cause. I, my low is just the injuries, and it's one of those things. We're in this position. It's a good cop pri- out. Primarily because of it, uh, and I don't think we've touched on exactly what everybody's dealing with. We know Cam Johnson is having the meniscus surgery. I, I hate it for his longevity, uh, but I'm not a doctor, so I can't pretend to know. Um, what what the outcome is? Uh, Philip Philip private messaged me just now and said I need to grow up and roast somebody. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I just I I think the team. I'm trying to as as the guy who likes to feel everything at either zero or one hundred. I'm trying to have some some balance here. Exactly. Um, but Cam's probably going to be out a month to two to two months. Um. Uh, he uh, the the similar surgery he had at North Carolina he came back from five weeks later so if that gives you kind of incl- any inclination of where that might land uh, one to two months is probably a safe bet you've got Chris Ball who's out with this what seems to be mysterious heel injury I don't think it's been fully explained exactly what that is or what it looks like but he was asked today um, you know when he's planning on coming back and he's basically said when I feel good enough I- I'm ready to go again but it's just a matter of making sure I feel good enough leaving the option open maybe for tomorrow night, but doubtful. And then Cam uh, or uh, Landry Shamit has apparently concussion symptoms. I don't recall mm. seeing what that's tied to. I missed that during, during the game. Probably his head. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You, you. you must've seen the Will Smith movie, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I am legend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back to back weeks. <laughs> Um, but that's kind of where we're at. And I think a lot of this, this mess we're in is, is, is this Monty's having to work on the fly from some rumors that are coming out. It sounds like James Jones is at least at work trying to find some solutions. And that's going to lean a little towards my, just so you know, but yeah, in injuries, man. But then again, there's no excuse to lose to that Orlando magic team without, uh, a, with a Cole Anthony, who was out with injury with a Paolo who was out. Uh, that was just a tough loss. That that just looks bad. My turn, boys. I have a low for Let's the week. Let's have it. Let's have it, Ethan. It's also my low for the season. And I'm Is going it to De- DeAndre Ayton. I'm going to share some information, and then I'm going to pose a question or two, if you don't mind. DeAndre Ayton for the season. Nailed. Ten, ten games played, 
averaging a career low in minutes. And there's a statistic that will explain that momentarily. He is currently at a career low um, in terms of free throw attempts per game under two, which is remarkable for, you know, a large center. He is career low for offensive rebounds, career low for defensive rebounds, career low for rebounds. Uh, he is a career low for blocks per game, a tied for career low steals per game, career high for fouls per game, career nice. high tied turnovers per game, and currently career low for points per game. That's 10 games. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and make that very clear. 10 games, one eighth of the season. Is there need to be concerned? And why is the answer Yes, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, here's here's my issue. Here's where I, I went on the, I need to look and see if numbers are, are matching up. I saw a DeAndre Ayton against Philadelphia, and then I saw a different DeAndre Ayton in the other games. This is, what's, this is what's burning my biscuits. If he has some like ego challenge thing of like, uh-oh, it's me versus Joel Embiid, he plays his butt off. Like Philip called it out already defensively that looked like a grown man trying to shut down an MVP center who actually knows how to play the position. And then you have two other games where it's a completely different person. His fouls have been stupid. Philip mentioned that already. If you go look at his, again, career high average fouls per game, they're not good fouls. This is not him, you know, just being a step late on a good contester or anything. He he's fouling dude with his back to the basket. He's biting when he doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of on the floor. Like it's dumb. It's dumb stuff. And offensively, the only stat that is like his shining achievement right now is his three point field goal percentage. That's it. Everything else is worse right now. I I am starting. I'm officially putting it on watch. I am on concern watch. I'm not concerned, but I'm gonna be aware of it to see Are if I like- need. Are there like tornado levels to this where it's like watch warning and then you're like, oh, it's kind of like the color system that I use with Brooke when I have to poop in public. I'm like, I'm at an orange. (laughs) I'm at an orange. And that means like we need to go. If we're at like a green, we're fine. If we're at a brown, it's too late. We're going to go ahead and say (laughs) that we're at an orange. We need to be aware because something is coming. Maybe not. It could be a false alarm. But right now, I think there should be a level of potential concern. And I'm going to be on the lookout for it. I think if I were to rank the statistics that bother me right now, number one would be fouls. That is the key contributor to his minutes being where they are. We need him to be on the court. He costs a bazillion dollars and he's needed on offense and defense. You got to be out there when you're not. You're making Bismack play who we don't want to most of the time or jock play, which disrupts the second unit can't afford that. Number two is free throw attempts per game. How on earth are you averaging 1.9 free throws per game? Legitimately. That means you're getting fouled less than once per game if you're assuming he's getting fouled on a shot. How many many did Embiid hit, Philip? What was it, 16 16. of 16? Give me a quarter of that. Give me four. Go to the line four times a game. Go up twice and get fouled. Like, that is... I get that the league is moving away from the big man in many ways, but that part has not gone away. There is such value of not just getting free throws, but also getting fouls on the other team and putting them in the situation that we continue to find ourselves in. And then on top of that, you can't do it when you're missing players. 
Like when you're out at Cam Johnson and then at Chris Paul, we can't afford for you to be on the bench with two early fouls. Just can't happen. So again, we're putting it on concern watch. That's my low for the week. We will all be vigilant do you, and do keep you feel, each other posted. Do you feel better now? I feel like you've been sitting on that one. I'm, do you feel I'm any just, better? I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm frustrated because if you're looking at successful teams and how they spend their money, there is a very, very small room for error when it comes to a percentage of a team's cap or salary going to someone who's not delivering at that rate. And I am concerned. And he's not going anywhere till January 15th or four years from now. <laughs> I'm for real. Like, he's here. We don't have to play the game now of like, is he worth it? Do we keep he's here? How they went about it, not ideal. I need just just show up on the court, man. Like if you're getting those fouls because you're trying to yam on people and they're like eight and you just elbowed him in the face, bud, you can't do that. I'm cool with that foul. But it's the dumb stuff that just can't be happening. This isn't year one or two that we just need. We need this to improve or the Suns are not going to win. I still don't think we're actual contenders. No matter that people are like, whoa, the Suns are for real now. We should be on notice. No, you've been tricked. They're not there yet. Though media thought they'd be so bad because they were too busy talking about every other team. They're like, oh, the Suns are still good. Yeah, they're still a good team. But you can't trick yourself into thinking you're a contender if if you can't get consistency where you need it. And that is that is frustrated me. So I'll be done. I'll be done now. Give myself a little break. Um, we move. Did I give everyone their low? Sorry. You did. OK, you good did. stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> uh, let's move to our just so you knows. Uh, Ryan, I'll let you go ahead and uh, take this one. Uh, I have two. Uh, once once a quick one. Uh, my my quick one is that it looks like flex from jersey is officially on board the vikings train so hey he's a he's a huge vikings fan. we have we have dm'd about the vikes in the past i i I didn't know that about him so uh, his his rank in my book went up a a little higher so that's great for him who is that he's a big (laughs) fan on uh son's twitter philip Um, who also hopefully will get kevin durant to show up in phoenix one day that's all we uh, ask. My other, just so you know, is I'm a proponent of where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, and for the really the first time all season, we've had a little bit of smoke on the Jay Crowder trade movement. Um, yesterday, news broke from, uh, I think it was Ian Begley from up in New York, uh, who mentioned that the Heat were pursuing potentially Jay Crowder for a return. And Max Struess is the name that was mentioned. I don't care what happens with that. I, I the, have the official Max Struess, aka Phillips. The Heat always just pull one guy out of a gym somewhere and turn him into a legit player. What what what's important to me about this is it looks like the wheeling and dealing has started uh, potentially, and that people are starting to reach out after what felt like a month of silence on this front. Uh, perhaps something is coming. And so that's something to watch, something to be excited about. Uh, I will say after the the rumor broke, Struess did drop a career-high 31 points, uh, which is one point higher than Jay Crowder's career-high. So that was pretty funny. Uh, but, hey, who knows? Jay Crowder could be on the move soon. I mean, I think the Suns still not playing him after Cam Johnson left makes it very clear to other teams that, yes, he for real is on the trade block. No, this isn't just some big stunt we're pulling. So... Hopefully something comes soon. Philip, what you got? I went back to the original purpose of just so you know, and I have some statistics to share. Oh boy. But it comes with a claim first, and then I'll provide my evidence. 
The Suns played like one of the worst teams in the NBA this week. Here's here's how we know that. Their offensive rating this week, 108 points for 100 possessions, which would rank a spicy 27th in the league. I like Mm. that. Their defensive rating this week was basically 115, which would also rank 27th in the NBA. Contender. Their net rating then was a minus 6.7, which, if you're catching a trend, would rank 27th in the NBA if that's what they averaged on the season. So 27s across the board, offensive rating, defensive rating, net ranking, which is in contrast to they are 6th in offensive rating, they are 3rd in defensive rating, and they are 2nd in net rating for the entire year. It was a really bad week of Suns basketball and you know what that's all right they're gonna have some stinkers of weeks and I'm glad they got it out of their system on a road trip agreed agreed well um gave you guys some heads up on this I wanted to use my just so you know a little differently today uh, and I won't I won't go too long but if you all Suns fans have been watching keeping up with the team you may have noticed that Ish Wainwright has not been with the team due to personal reasons um, this past week, uh, on, sadly, on October 31st, I believe, Ish Wainwright's father passed away, Coach Calvin Wainwright. Um, in doing some research about him, I was just really impressed. Uh, there was a piece in the local paper there in Kansas City, and I just wanted to share some of the stuff that's shared there. Uh, Coach Calvin Wainwright will be remembered by some for his skill as a basketball player, but his special gift was as a mentor to generations of young black men. Uh, a close friend said, Calvin took the time to mold me into the man I am today. Uh, Wainwright was 68 when he passed. Uh, after a lifetime of working with kids, helping show them how to escape the violence and poverty that often surrounded them. Uh, he was described as a big brother and a legend and a reason that so many basketball players from the area made their way out. Uh, Wainwright by his best friend was described this way. He was a man that loved God and loved his family. So I know Ish has been posting some stuff on his social medias. Uh, I believe his, his father was a pastor potentially as well, based on some of the stuff I was seeing. Uh, so just wanted to say, keep him in your thoughts, send good vibes, prayers, if that's something you're inclined to do. Uh, but Ish is huge within the Suns fan base. We all love him. I know he's well-loved. Uh, by those in Phoenix on Twitter, everything else. But during a tough time, my just so you know is keep him in your uh, your thoughts and prayers as he's going through that. From what I read, it seemed uh, to be a little unexpected in terms of the timing, though there were some health issues. But know that's uh, a, a bit of a different way to close, but did want to share that because we do care about this team, and I know a lot of folks out there do as well. And a lot of you guys are in Phoenix and are actually maybe going to be able to interact with them, say something to them if, if you come across them. I do enjoy random tweets when people see the Suns players out and about. But, uh, gentlemen, bad week of basketball. I think we should all turn the page, except for being on concern watch, because we're still at an orange, and we can't quite move past that but we can definitely check in next week. Guys, as we bring this one to a close, anything that needs to be said, anything added before we call it a night? Uh, Shout out the Florida College Falcon Lady Volleyball team who just secured their bid to nationals with the coach of the year, 
the back-to-back player of the year, the back-to-back hitter of the year, and the back-to-back setter of the year. Go Falcons. Personally, I would like to say go Sun. It is also my dog's birthday. Happy birthday, Annie. We love you so much. (laughs) I am Ethan (laughs) Shutt. And for Philip and Ryan, this is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.